0: Well, last week, Pastor Bob began a message series about lessons from the life of Moses. And I couldn't help but think as Allison and the band were playing that song, um, that the last song about how God called and I am available, how much Moses didn't say I'm available. God really had to work to convince Moses to take on this role that God had for him, and as Pastor Bob taught us, he had a million excuses, and he offered them all up one right after the other, but eventually he agreed to answer God's call and do the mission and the job that God had placed before him, but not until God had promised him some helpers. Not only God was going to help him, but some human beings were going to help him too. And that's where we're going to turn today. The message today is about the people who have our backs and the people whose backs we have as we do life's journey together and as we are in ministry together. So we're going to start this morning just right around where Pastor Bob left off last week in Exodus chapter 4 to uh, learn about a man that was actually... um, like uh, the the spiritual father of Moses and this is what Exodus chapter 4 verse 18 tells us then Moses went back to Jethro his father-in-law and said to him let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive Jethro said go and I wish you well so right after Moses had this amazing conversation with God at the burning bush he went back to his father-in-law for whom he had worked as a shepherd whose daughter he had married and said you know i need to go back to egypt and he was seeking the blessing of this man who had had authority over him who was a spiritual figure over him and jethro true to form said to moses go and i wish you well you know we have people like that in our lives right now, many hundreds, thousands of years later, whose blessing we seek, people who affirm our goals, people who give us blessing when we embark on something new. I know there's a, a couple of fathers here that I'm looking at today, and I'm sure that their sons-in-law came to them and asked for their daughter's hands in marriage. I know that that happens. So we look for that blessing from someone who's older and wiser. But Jethro was older and wiser in a number of ways. You see, as the story of Exodus unfolds, we find out that Moses left to go back to Egypt, and he brought his daughter and his son with him, but at some point in time, he actually sent his wife and sons, not his daughter and son, his wife and sons, back to Jethro. Maybe the journey was too difficult. Maybe Moses was too absorbed in the work he was doing, but he sent his family back to Jethro, and then Jethro turned around and brought the family back to Moses, In uh, chapter 18 of Exodus but while Joseph uh, while Jethro was there he took the opportunity to see what Moses was doing how he was leading the people and he was very dismayed by what he saw because Moses was taking all of the burden on himself Moses was deciding every dispute, he was sitting as judge when the people came to him with their questions, their needs, their disputes, and he was working from dawn to dusk by himself. And after Jethro saw this, this is what he said to Moses. He said, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you, you cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from among the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain and appoint them as men, and officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. You see, Jethro had Moses' back enough to tell him in a loving way that what he was doing wasn't good. He taught him a lesson that we might Learn today in a, a business school or a workplace that we need to delegate. We need to not do everything ourselves. And Moses received this message from his father-in-law with humility. He had a teachable spirit. He was willing to learn. He did what Jethro said, and because of it, he became a better and more effective leader. We need those kind of people in our lives. Sometimes, when we're young, The person might be our parents. One of our parents might be the one who leads us on the path to do things the right way. But sometimes a parent's not available to do that, and in that case, sometimes one of those beloved teachers that we have, we can all name a teacher that we had growing up that was extra special. Sometimes the Jethro might be a person who's our boss in the place where we work, and that person might nurture us on more than just the nuts and bolts of our job, but they give us guidance on how to live life, and we need to be open for that. But you know, Moses had other people too. And there's one I'd really like to talk about because she hardly gets a mention in the Bible. It was a patriarchal society, and the women weren't that important. And the person I'm talking about is his wife, Zipporah. She's mentioned the first time as being the daughter of Jethro, who was to marry Moses, and then as Moses' wife, and then as the mother of his children. So her role as daughter, wife, mother... Was her role, and that was her importance in that society as someone who was in the background. But in Exodus chapter 4, she has a role, kind of a strange role, actually, in three verses that are very hard to understand. If you study these three verses, you'll find there's lots of people who disagree about what they meant and what the point of it was. So let me read those to you before uh, before I explain kind of what my take is on those verses. This is what they say. Now, this is after Moses has accepted the mission from God and he's getting ready to take his family back to Egypt to bring the Israelis out. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time she said, bridegroom of blood. She was referring to circumcision. So here we have Moses, who was raised in Pharaoh's household. Probably not a place to learn much about the covenant between Abraham and God. A covenant that was sealed by the circumcision of the males in society. There would have been no way for Moses to learn about that. And then he went to Midian, he went to where Jethro was and became a shepherd for him and married his daughter and again, this is not known as a place that worshiped God so he might have had no idea about this need for circumcision. And yet Zipporah, his wife, perceived this need. She understood why God was angry. Now, when we look at these three verses, it can be confusing, admittedly. We say, wait, God just talked to Moses at the burning bush and had to work real hard to convince him to take on this mission. And then a few verses later, we find out God's angry and is going to kill Moses. That doesn't make any sense. But maybe it does make sense. Maybe the point of those three verses is to remind us that there are people working in the background of our lives, who perceive our needs when we don't even understand what those needs are, who take action quietly behind the scenes to make things that are wrong right. I look around the room, I see the people here. I know for some of you that might be apparent, for some of you, it might be a spouse, for some of you, it might be one of your children, where they have taken on a role of being a, um, an uplifter, an encourager for you. When I think of that kind of person in my own life, Zipporah, I think of my spouse. I think of people that I have worked with really closely. People who worked behind the scenes to help me be successful who did things I didn't even see or understand. Reminds me of the song, Wind Beneath My Wings. Remember Bette Midler sang it? It must have been cold there in my shadow to never have sunlight on your face. You were content to let me shine. You always walked a step behind. So I was the one with all the glory and you were the one with all the strength You were a beautiful face without a name, a beautiful smile to hide the pain. I can imagine for Zipporah, having her husband be so engaged in his work to send her back to her father must have been painful. But she filled a role in the unfolding of this great narrative that's really important to acknowledge. She understood the importance of the covenant between God and his people and the rite of circumcision that sealed the deal. She had a role. So I'm going to ask you today, in the week ahead, think about who the zaporas in your life might be. Maybe you just have one, maybe you have one or two. I'm looking around the room today and I know of one person who's probably going to say that her Zipporah is her son. Thank that person for being the wind beneath your wings. Thank that person, and then also thank God for placing that person in your life to be your helpmate, your soulmate, the one who helps you succeed. But God didn't stop there in Moses' life, with a father-in-law and a wife. We remember from last week that God promised Moses that his brother Aaron would help him. Now why did Moses need Aaron? Aaron as Pastor Bob taught us, because Moses was afraid to speak. Moses said he wasn't a man who spoke well. Maybe he was a stutterer. He didn't want to be the voice of this big mission. And finally, God said, listen, I'll send your brother Aaron to go with you, and he'll be your voice. And this is how that unfolded. Again, from Exodus chapter 4, I'm at verse 27. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. Aaron told them everything the Lord had sent to Moses. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. So early on in his mission for God, Moses was indeed afraid to speak to people. And Aaron did that for him when Moses was supposed to be convincing the Israelis to go with him to leave Egypt and to go to the promised land. You see, he had to convince the the Israelis first, the Israelite people, and then he had to convince Pharaoh. And in this story, Aaron was Moses' voice to the Israelites. But eventually, we know Moses must have gotten his legs under him, gotten braver, became more confident. Because when it came time to talk to Pharaoh, most of the time, Moses did the talking. Aaron had filled the gap while Moses was afraid and timid. Many, many months, years later, we know that there were things that Aaron did wrong, where Moses had to save Aaron. Moses had to have Aaron's back. The biggest thing of which was when Moses had left the people for a while to visit with God on the mountain and get the law. What did Aaron do? He gave in to the people's demand that he make them a god out of gold, and he fashioned a golden calf for them. That was, that was an epic fail, folks. That was an epic fail. And yet God didn't strike Aaron dead in that moment, or the people dead, because Moses had their backs, and Moses had Aaron's back. Some bad things happened, and God was angry, and so was Moses. But the roles had reversed. And see, we need to remember that about the relationships we have with people who have our back. They're not perfect 100% of the time. Sometimes those people do great things that lift us up and help us succeed. And then sometimes the roles reverse. It's a mutual thing. But it, it, it didn't end there. You see, later on, as the people continued to be disobedient, continued to grumble, continued not to trust God. Moses finally had enough. He finally had enough. He said, God, these people are too much for me. Why do I have to be in charge of them? Death is preferable to leading these people. And this is how God responded to Moses. He said, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there and I will take some of the power of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. It was that lesson, that earlier lesson from Jethro reiterated once again this time from God to Moses but for those elders who came with Moses to be blessed this way Moses had to be willing to give a couple things up he had to give up some of his authority the scripture told us that God was going to take some of the spirit he had put on Moses and give it to those people who were going to be his helpers he had to give up some of his power in order to share burdens, in order to share responsibility, we have to trust other people with some of what used to be ours. We have to let them have our backs and they have to let us have theirs. That's what this lesson teaches us. You know, when I think about, um, when I think about this kind of thing and, and friends who have your back, I can't I can't tell you. Uh, many of you know that. Um, it seems like a lifetime ago. Back in 2008, um, I became the elected property appraiser here in Pinellas County. And, and I want to know. I want you to know. You know, those people who are elected who hold the office, they get a, a lot of the accolades and all of that. But the office was filled with people like these elders in this story who carried the day-to-day burden of talking with property owners, of going out and appraising property, of handling their exemptions. And when I think of those people, you know, I wish I had taken more time to say to them, boy, you you guys, I succeeded because of you. And I'm pretty sure that there's a few of them who grew in their jobs and got promotions and stuff would probably say that, that they grew because I had their backs too. You know, we do that in the church as well with things like small groups, with things like Sunday school classes. I don't know how many times someone has had a trial or tribulation in their life, and the first people to the house were the folks in their Sunday school class or the small group. The people who brought them food were folks who were in their sphere of influence and their friendships within the church. Carolyn Goodwin's home team, I mean, Carolyn is our missionary over in Africa. She succeeds over there because of the work that's being done here by people who have her back. So we're meant to live this way, the way Moses and Aaron and the leaders in Israel live together, working together and having each other's back. But, you know, there's one more really important relationship in the Moses story. It's the thing that we're called to do as we get a little older, maybe a little bit wiser. Some of us are slower at that than others. I'm very slow at that. We are called to pass on what we learn to the people who will succeed us. And for that to happen, we have to look at the character in the Exodus story of Joshua. You might remember there's a story about a battle that takes place. It's a battle that takes place where Moses tells Joshua, you go and lead the army. I'm not going to lead the army. So he gives Joshua this big job to do. And Joshua leads the army out to meet the Amalekites, and Moses goes on top of the hill, and he raises his arms. And when his arms are raised, Joshua and the Israelites are winning the battle. But when Moses' arms get too tired and he drops them, they begin to lose. So in that moment, people who had Moses' back, Aaron and another man, lifted his arms and held them up for him. And indeed, Joshua and the Israelites won the battle. But Joshua couldn't win that battle if this spiritual father and leader hadn't been raising his arms to ask God to help Joshua. And we need to raise our arms and ask God, to help people that we mentor, to help people that we teach, to help the Joshua's in our lives. You know, when that battle was over, God said these words to Moses. He said, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. Make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. God was directing Moses to teach Joshua to tell him what was important and what to remember. And this became very important later in the Exodus story. Not in the book of Exodus, but the whole story. It it actually comes into fruition in, in later books. And what happens is the people arrive at the border of the Promised Land And Moses sends Joshua and a young man named Caleb and some others over to look at the promised land, kind of like spies or like a reconnaissance team for those of you who are, you know, like the marine recon or army recons to to check things out. But what happened is when those people came back to Moses and the Israelites the majority of them said, no, 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 we can't go. Those people are really tall. They're large. We'll never be able to defeat them. Yes, the land flows with milk and honey, and it's, it's fruitful, and it's wonderful, but we, we shouldn't do this. But Joshua, perhaps remembering what God had told Joshua this story. God had told Moses, tell Joshua this story. Tell him to remember it. Joshua remembered And he said, no, no, we should go in. We should have faith in God. We should trust God and do what God says. But the people said no. And as a result, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until the whole generation died out. And then Joshua became Moses' official successor. And he led the people into the promised land. He completed what Moses started. Moses became Joshua's Jethro. And I'll bet you that Jethro nurtured some people along the way as well so that he could be replaced. You know, we say it again and again in church. We're not meant to do life alone. We're not supposed to be lone rangers. We all need Jethro's to guide us. We need those beautiful soulmates, those Zephoras in our life, to perceive what we don't, to help us succeed when we can't see the forest for the trees. We need our errands and the elders to do life with us, where we work together to accomplish great goals that God has for us. But we also need to make sure that we find our own Joshua's, Because when we do that, we raise up the next generation to carry the church forward long after we're gone. And I have been talking to you a little over 20 minutes now. And I wonder if some of you aren't thinking, well, wow, this is a neat story about Moses and his buddies, Pam, but, you know, this is a Christian church on a Sunday morning, and how about a little Jesus? Anybody thinking that? So let's talk about Jesus for a minute. What did Jesus do with his disciples? And what did his disciples do after Jesus was resurrected and went to heaven? Jesus took this model that we read about in the Old Testament with Moses and his friends, with Aaron and the elders and Zephora and and Joshua. Jesus took that model and perfected it. He raised up disciples from among some people who occasionally acted like knuckleheads. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, but we're just like them, so I don't mind saying it. He raised them up. He taught them what he needed to know. They learned his words that we find in our Bible in the red letters. The red letter Bibles where Jesus' spoken word are highlighted in red. And those men and women planted the first churches and became preachers of the gospel, and they raised up generation after generation that continued to do the same thing. And here we are a couple thousand years later on a different continent in Largo, Florida, with a church that was planted years and years ago, decades ago. And our job is to do the same thing. So see, the story of Moses and all those people and all of his relationships just foreshadowed what would happen in the New Testament that gave birth to the church, and we need to remember that. There's something else we need to remember. That these relationships, these Jethro's and Aaron's and Zipporah's and elders in our lives, these Joshua's, they need to matter in our lives more than the mundane loyalties that we create out in the world. As the Christian church today, such a time as this, we need to model for our neighbors and our community that we have each other's backs in a way that will not be defeated by the political winds by the economic winds, by differences of opinion over social issues. We need to have each other's backs through it because Jesus said, love God and love our neighbors and share the gospel in the world. That's our job and we need to remember it, especially during such a time as this. Let's not reflect the world. Let's reflect Jesus and his disciples, Moses and his followers. Let's be the people of God. You know, I used to like the movie, The Three Musketeers. I loved that saying, all for one and one for all. As we wind this up today, I'd like to ask you to try to do something in the weeks and months ahead. Do it with me. Do it with Pastor Bob. Do it with each other. Let's be all of us, for every one of us, no matter what our differences are. Let's all of us be for every one of us because of the one, the one who came, who sacrificed, who made a way for us to be reconciled to God. We'll be all for one because of the one who was for all.